This is episode number one, three, four, with country music star Angie Kilhauer. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. My name is Nick Carrier, lifestyle entrepreneur and fitness trainer. My goal is for you to gain more clarity on what the best version of yourself looks like, what the best version of yourself is capable of, and then to give you the tools, tips, and inspiration on how to make that person a reality. Today I bring you Angie Kilhauer, who is a country music star based here in Nashville. This interview was recorded at my last live event on December 14th at Top Golf Nashville. We had an awesome event which consisted of a great workout, this 30-minute live podcast interview, and Angie singing a couple songs as well. Make sure you keep a lookout to find out when the next one is. Angie was born in El Salvador and then her parents moved her and her four sisters to the States when she was 11 years old. Angie quit college at the age of 19 to sing on cruise ships and chase down her passion. She competed on NBC's The Voice back in 2016 on Team Blake and she alongside Jordan Fisher are the voices of Walt Disney World's fireworks song called Happily Ever After. In this episode, Angie talks about moving to the U.S., what her struggles were early on, and how she found singing as her passion. She talks about how she was able to finally get on The Voice after six tries, how she became the voice of the Walt Disney World fireworks song, and so much more. Y'all, Angie is amazing. She's one of the most real and most authentic people you'll ever find, and I hope you'll be able to sense that and hear that in this amazing interview. But before we get into the episode, you entrepreneurs out there, you goal setters, business leaders, and basically anyone who wants to execute on their goals, you have got to hear about Chris McChesney's strategy execution workshops. Chris McChesney, author of The Four Disciplines of Execution and former guest on this show, puts on full day workshops teaching people on how to execute on their wildly important goals. The next workshop is tomorrow, I repeat, tomorrow in Palm Beach, Florida, January 14th, and I will be attending this one myself. I can not wait. I'll already be down there by the time you're listening to this episode. I know it's gonna be a game changer for me and my business, and I don't want you to miss out on this huge offer. By using the code BESTYOU, you can get a huge major discount. Just go to www.ompevents.com. Again, ompevents.com. It is tomorrow. You don't want to miss out on it. Palm Beach, Florida. Get down there to learn about how you can level up on your business and your goals. Make sure you take a screenshot of this episode when you're listening to it and post it to your Instagram stories and tag me at carrier underscore best you and tag Angie at Angie Kilhauer. A-N-G-I-E. K-E-I-L-H-A-U-E-R. And let us know your favorite part. I know Angie would love to hear some feedback from the interview as well. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on getting closer to the best version of yourself today with the inspiring Angie Kilhauer. Angie, wherever you are. Hey, Angie. What's up? All right. Let's do this thing. All right, all recording, all good to go. Make sure this mic's set up. Oh, I got four mics. I know, right? These are two are just for my safety net. So, all right, so basically, you guys got a quick glimpse of Angie real quick, but uh, to give you even more of a background, back in, uh, let's see, when you were 11 years old, she grew up in El Salvador until 11 years old, and her parents moved your, you and your four sisters uh, to yeah. Georgia. Is that where you guys originally moved? Yeah, Marietta, okay. Georgia. Marietta, Georgia. Yeah, how about that? Um, to Marietta, Georgia. And so basically, I just kind of want to start off there. I want to ask you, what were your kind of like earliest memories about moving here? Were you excited? Were you anxious? Like, what were your, what was your thought process coming in to moving into the United States? Uh, well, growing up in El Salvador, I, um, 
I both I spoke both Spanish and English. I could speak the language, but outside of the U.S., you kind of think of America as like what you see on TV. So like football players and cheerleaders, and that's all I knew about the United States. So when I moved here, I realized that it's so much more diverse than that. And uh, I also kind of had a little bit of a hard time kind of fitting in. And that's where the guitar came in. And I'd always written songs and made my family listen to them. But I think that was the year that I like just begged my mom to get me a guitar. And she finally did. And I never looked back. Yeah. So just like early on, you, that the guitar was kind of the thing to make you feel comfortable and, and just like around your friends and stuff. Or just like what made you come? What started to make you feel comfortable now after you moved to the U.S.? I think that there was an open mic at my school. And... I just always, I was always a little bit of a rough and tumble kind of girl, so like I would be the one like being like, yeah, like a little too hard and then be like, oh my God, you hurt me, like kind of thing. And so I always just felt a little bit kind of off and I, what I loved about, I always loved writing songs, but you can't like just sing, like just be able to accompany yourself is so freeing because you can really make the music sound exactly like you want it to. And uh, the idea, and I think this is so important for kids in general to have the opportunity to perform because you have your space, your spotlight, and you get a minute with people. And and I love the humanity of it too, especially open mics. People applause, they encourage, even when you're not there yet. You know, like I sounded bad for a really long time, and I still got people applauding and telling me to keep going. And I needed that not just to become a musician, but just to become a better person. So you said the guitar was kind of the first thing. Open mic was the first thing to make you feel comfortable. Like, what led you to doing that? Did you like music earlier when you were growing up? Did you have like a role model that you looked up to in terms of singing? Like, what got you into music in the first place? Man, I. It's weird. It's a weird mix of like Christina Aguilera and Dolly Parton, honestly. Like okay. the weirdest mix. Because the people that are really big and outside of the US are just kind of honestly a little random. And then you have the Latin American huge people like Ricky Martin, which I had a poster of growing up. But <laughs> no, it's uh, I think Dolly was the reason why I went towards country music. Mm -hmm. um, my mom used to listen to her records all the time and she would tell me the stories of our my grandparents my great-grandparents kind of like interwoven within her music and that's kind of where I fell in love with the idea of writing a song and letting people put their uh, their sounds in it I actually got to meet Dolly uh, at the CMA Awards recently and I was the most uncool person in the world I turned bright red and just turned around <laughs> but yeah no it was a it was a good moment that's super cool uh, so Early on when you moved here, was there anything, like looking back at it now, was there anything that your parents did that made the transition a little bit easier for you and your sisters? Well, um, they always really supported us in any kind of extracurriculars we wanted to do. So like sports or, and they didn't, they didn't make a lot of money, but, and they made it known that it was a sacrifice that so you had to commit. So one thing I begged them for was vocal lessons. And guy, I really was not a great singer when I was younger. I was looking through some old tapes that I wanted to destroy. <laughs> so I think my mom knew I needed them more than I did. Uh, but she was like, okay, I'll get you vocal lessons. But if you get lessons the way your sister got violin lessons, you also have to get up three times a week at six in the morning and practice. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course, you know, because all kids promise things very quickly. And sure enough, she got up me up at six in the morning for three days a week for an entire year so I could have vocal lessons and, uh, and I would practice. I was really miserable, but it also taught me a lot and I got a lot better that year. Yeah, yeah, well, probably taught you hard work and committing to something early on, so that's cool. Um, at what point was your, like, first performance like you got the vocal lessons and stuff like that at what point do you jump on a stage and when you do if you weren't that good did you like fall in love with it right away or was it something that you kind of battled early on 
in terms of like, I don't know if I want to do this moving forward. I think everybody battles a little bit with that whole like failure aspect of it because you are going to fail a few times performing before you actually, I still do. I, the first time I performed open for Jake Owen, I, uh, I was thinking like, I've done this for eight years. I did it on cruise ships, four hours a day, six days a week. I was like, I got this acoustic show. It's just 20 minutes. I go out there. First drum is completely out of tune because like, it's just so hot outside. So there's things that happen, like whether you're just starting out or like, you know, 10 years in. And I remember the first performance I had, I sang Tomorrow by Annie. And I didn't know it at the time that I had a really strong lisp. I don't know why nobody told me, but I'm to this day known from my like Escuela Americana, like my my El Salvador school friends, as a Tumalo girl. <laughs> so I went into speech therapy because of that, and I didn't perform for a long time. And then when I got to high school in the U.S., I did that open mic that was like a cabaret, and I sang "You'll Be in My Heart." <laughs> it was a Disney theme. Okay. And uh, it was full circle. Um, <laughs> But I, I sang that and it was terrifying because I didn't have a strap and it started to fall forward and I almost fell right off the stool. I mean, I was this close. So like there, but uh, you know, if you really love it. So then what's like moving forward, like you got better and you performed more and more and more. At what point do you actually, like it could have been a long, a long while down the road. At what point do you say to yourself, this is what I'm going to do? Like, I know you, you worked a job, um, and gosh, what was it? Uh, an auto. Oh, salvage yard. Uh, uh, and a salvage yard. Really that sounds place. awesome. Um, so yeah, if you think you have a bad job, she worked in a salvage yard for a little <laughs> bit. Um, so is, was that maybe the first time that you knew you were going to go singing full time, or like was there was there a moment for you that transitioned into singing full full time? Well, I knew I, I always knew I liked people, and I liked putting on a show. You know, like entertaining people. Um, but I also, my biggest love has always been tinkering, like just figuring stuff out. And that's why I got into cars and that's why I ended up at the salvage yard. But on a deeper note, I think that we all know the bigger, the, the big decisions in life. I think we already know the decision we're going to make. And then life is just the process of accepting those decisions. Like I knew when I was nine years old, this is what I wanted to do. But it's not conventional. It doesn't make a ton of sense. There's no like perfect guide to making a business out of it and, and learning how to pay rent with it. And so it's you, you struggle with that decision, and I did. And for years, I uh, I struggled with it. I went to school for engineering on a, on, a, on a scholarship. I went to Georgia Tech, and then two years in, I called my parents and I said, um, "I'm quitting school, and I'm quitting my job at the salvage yard, and I'm going to work on a cruise ship." And they were thrilled. <laughs> this was this was how old? I was 19. Okay. So I wasn't even drinking age, but nobody cares in the Caribbean waters. And uh, so that was fun, but it's, it was amazing. Like I got on a ship, I told them I knew 300 songs. I knew 50 and they never even auditioned me live. Like my mom thought I was going to be sold to like Saudi Arabia or something. It was a real job though. I showed up in like Miami and I got on a ship and uh, I didn't know I could say no to requests. So people came up and asked me requests and I learned over 2000 songs on that six month, first six month contract. Yeah. You just did songs that people requested, even if you had no idea what they were. Yeah, I would listen to it, and then I'd play it. But I'm really good at cheating, like really good at cheating songs. Like, I really don't know what I'm doing, but I know how to ignore everything but the first letter and play that and sing to it. So that's pretty much how I got by. And ignore the first letter? Like, if you're reading, like, chords or music, yeah. usually the more complex chords have, like, multiple things after the first letter, like an A chord or a G chord. I would just ignore everything but the root chord and sing to that. Uh, it's just, uh, yeah. that's a foreign language to me. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm not talking chords. Um, all right, so you're working on a cruise ship, mm -hmm. and then you, I don't know what the timeline exactly was from you doing that to auditioning for The Voice, but we were talking beforehand. So you auditioned like eight times for The Voice? Uh, six. Six total. times. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, six times, and you said you auditioned with Luke Combs too? Yeah, the first time I auditioned, I didn't get past the first round, like nothing. Second time I sat right next to Luke Combs. I hadn't forgot about this actually until I saw his arena concert here. Well, I sat right next to him, and we sat next to him for probably like six and a half, seven hours, and neither of us got on the show. <laughs> and I still have the journal entry where he wrote everywhere I could find his music. I mean, it is like a page full of every place I could find it. And I went and looked him up afterwards, and he had 30,000 fans at the time, and he was still going for that one extra person. And I learned a lot, I think, from that moment. You said, what did he write down? He wrote down everywhere I could find his music, his Facebook, his, oh, his, like oh, everything. Wow. I don't think Instagram was a thing back then, but it was literally just an entire page of where I could find his music. Wow, so what kept you going back when you get, fail, or you know, when you didn't get on the show, didn't get on the show, like why did you keep going back until that sixth time? I don't know. It's like just a why not kind of thing. Like I think, I think what's tough about doing what you love is that the failures are personal and they're uh, they're painful. But the goal, like the excitement of getting it right, is what keeps you coming back. Like I literally came off that stage with like I'm playing the first note and it being totally awful, and now I have like a whole systems check every time that I go on stage, making sure everything's in tune, and like you just. You work so hard. It's the same as working on cars. Like, you mess up, and you get so frustrated, and you don't know what's wrong. And then finally, like, everything works, and you turn that engine, and there's an enormous amount of pride of fixing something like that. And it's, like, something that could have been broken or something that wasn't good enough, but now is. And you use all those things to, to do that, I guess. Mm, that's awesome. So you made it through the, the first audition and how many auditions do you have to go through to make it to the actual TV show? It's about a year long of auditions. They've changed it now I think but when I auditioned it was a full year so the first time I auditioned or the first time I got through I after I came off cruise ships I actually got asked to audition for The Voice. It's like called like a producer audition. You go in and audition for that and then they say okay uh, we need you in LA in three months. So I canceled this entire string of like bar tour that I did from like the Florida Keys to New York City, called each bar and was like, hey, I have to cancel, it's for a good reason. Well, they called me a day before I'm supposed to fly to LA and they were like, actually, never mind, we're not gonna need you. And I was like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> and so, I mean, I played like kids' birthday parties, I played like, I mean, everything I could get and then I got a last minute like week or month on a cruise ship where they doubled our hours and I actually ended up needing vocal surgery and I'm sitting there needing vocal surgery kind of bummed out and I just decided to email the voice again and say hey could I audition again for next season and they were like yeah absolutely so I do the vocal surgery and it took a little longer because there were some complications with it and I had one audition date left and I had $600 in my account and the one-way ticket to California to for this audition was $500. So I flew over there, but I called my now girlfriend of four years, and I was like, hey, can you come pick me up? And so it all worked out for me. Oh. But yeah, pretty wild. So that, that was the time when you actually got on it? Yeah, and that time, and then you get sequestered in a hotel the whole time, okay. and it's pretty wild. Okay, so you actually get on the show. Were you, were you just super nervous getting up there in front of everybody? I mean, at that point, it's the same mentality I had every time I go on stage. It's like... It's like, I've read this quote once that was, the difference between amateurs and professionals is amateurs try to hide that they're winning it and professionals know they always will be. <laughs> and I think I'm just so comfortable winging it, you know? Yeah. 
I got you. I yeah, got you. So did you when you went up there? So they had three of them turn around. Christina Aguilera didn't. Did you know you wanted Team Blake or did you want Christina Aguilera? What's so funny is me and my friend Kada, who also lives here, Kada Hay, we became really close friends through this year-long process. She wanted Blake. I kind of, I would have. If Christina turned around, I probably would have chosen Christina. Yeah. And we got opposite. Like she, like she got the last spot on Christina's wow. team. I got like I think the second to last spot on Blake's team. Okay. So how much interaction do you have with him? Is it a decent amount of interaction that they like coach you and help you out with some stuff? Yeah, they spend a lot of time with us uh, during the rehearsals and stuff. I uh, remember one one particular memory. I was like jotting down all my list of to dos and stuff, and like trying to make sure I was set for the song. And he like walks over to me, not realizing that he had stopped talking and I was still writing. And he was like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "Right in front of me." And I was like, "I'm writing my list of things to do to make the song better." And this is like the day before the show. So we've been rehearsing this for weeks. He grabs my piece of paper and he says, you need to have a good time tonight. There's nothing else you can do to that song. <laughs> and I was so mad at the time, but that night I stayed up till like three in the morning. We were all just harmonizing in like hotel rooms with each other. And it was one of my favorite memories. And it reminds me that like, it's really the time that we give to each other that matters more than anything. And sometimes it's so easy to get too busy for it. Mm, that's awesome. That's, <laughs> I can feel like, the stereotype of Blake Shelton, I feel like he would say, yeah. go out and party, have a good time. Um, what do you think is the biggest thing you learned about yourself from being on the show? I'd say I learned that I was looking down a little too much, you know? Like, I, with the day that I didn't get like on... physically? No, just uh, figuratively. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Sorry. No. I was like, you're just not giving eye contact or what? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 no, I, uh, I, the, the day that I came off the show where I didn't get past the next round, it is hard because like I said, there's no like ladder to climb. And so this show kind of gives you this ladder to climb and this like tantalizing carrot at the end of it. That's like, you know, someone that'll actually give you the money to make the album you've always dreamed of making. And I remember thinking, I'll be fine if I don't get on, I'll be fine if I don't get on past this round. And I didn't. And I came off the stage and I'm working so hard at being like, totally fine, I'm good, I'm good, I'm, I'll be all right, like it's fine. And I get this text from Allison Porter who is like Curly Sue from that movie and she actually won my season. And she was probably getting ready for her audition and she texts me this long text that was like, I just want you to know I really like your voice and I like you know who you are and I really hope you keep going and I'm just, I just want you to know I'm proud of you. And I remember at that moment just like completely crying and like, and it wasn't even like a, I was sad that I was off the show. It was this like pure human moment of the one person that looked to their side instead of thinking about themselves made me feel so important and so loved. And it was like, it made me realize I had the opportunity to do that to so many people that I haven't done that for. And it made me kind of look around a lot more, I think. Yeah. I think sometimes it's hard to like think that it's going to make that big of an impact on somebody. Exactly. But you just have to pull the trigger. Like I know sometimes for me, I think about texting somebody who I haven't texted in a while and I'm like, uh, oh, like what's a text going to do? I, like I should need to give them a phone call or something. But like sometimes just a simple text makes somebody feel so much better. But let's transition after the voice. So after the voice, did you start just like touring around the country immediately or what, what was the, I guess, timeline right afterwards? Yeah, I um I read the full contract that they gave us and it was actually really moderate and at least like for the level that I was on and it told me the date that I could release things. So the second I came off the show, I said, I have a big announcement. I think it was like on March 5th or whatever. And I just kept pushing. I have a big announcement on March 5th, but I couldn't say what it was. 
Uh, and March 5th, I like announced the album and I had already recorded part of it like while still on the show. So I was ready for it. And, um, and as soon as I announced that, then I just went on like the same tours I was doing before and I would call venues in the same cities that I did bar shows and say, I just came off the show. I think I can do this 300 person room and started stringing together dates and just kind of grew from there. Gotcha. And so one thing I hadn't mentioned yet is when you were on The Voice, you were going to school, right? Uh, online Western Governors yeah. University. Is that it? That's right. Awesome. Oh, yeah. I watched the commencement speech like seven <laughs> times. I loved it. Um, but uh, um, what was the biggest thing that Western, going to school online while competing in The Voice, while doing all these other things, what was the biggest thing that you learned there that allowed you to use when you are like now in your professional life? Like what's the biggest thing you learned at the university? Well, this isn't a fun thing to talk about as an artist, but it, it taught me how to put together a business plan and to actually look at like accounting more smart, I guess, like to be able to really be able to analyze the numbers of what's working and what's not. Cause touring, the, the trouble with it is, you know, you, a lot of money comes in, but a lot of money comes out. So it's really hard to see what you have because checks are sometimes two months late. Like, it's just the nature of the business. So it's really hard to keep track of what's going on. And so I went back to school for marketing and business uh, at Western Governors University online. Uh, and and it really helped me kind of put all that together and do that. Okay, gotcha. So you're touring. I want to talk a little bit about like kind of the crazy life that it is. And I know we've talked in the in the past about you being able to stay eating healthy and stay active and stuff like that. So, so what are some of the things that you've done? Like everybody's super busy all day long, but not really busy compared to what, what she does. She was in like Vegas on Thursday. Um, she was in the Chattanooga and Knoxville last weekend all over the place. So what are some things that allow you to stay healthy and stay fit when you're traveling and on the road and stuff? I mean, it's, it, I think it's the same thing as what it is here. It's like, you've got to, like, I have to plan. If I don't plan, I don't have a healthy day at all. Like, I have to have an idea of, I have to eat this morning at, you know, even if it's like four in the morning, because if I don't eat right now, then it means I won't have another opportunity to at one and I'll end up going to get fast food or something. And I totally cheat. Um, like, I'm not perfect, but I, I know the steps to do that will help me. I just don't always do them. So it's like... It's interesting how it's like the worry of of will I get it done tends to affect actually doing it. Yeah. Where like that worry technically isn't something you're fighting against. It's just something you're creating, I guess. Yeah. So like one kind of one phrase that you just use is something I think about a lot is you kind of knew what you should be doing, but mm -hmm. a lot of times you weren't doing it. So what can you do or what do you do that allows you to fall through with the things that you know you should be doing, but you're not doing? Well, one of my big things is sometimes I'll do eight-hour drives. I'll do an eight-hour drive and do a show, pack up the next morning, do a seven-hour drive to the next show. Like, that's not that uncommon for me. I at least do that probably at least, like, once a month or two, a couple times a month. And on those long drive stuff, it's really hard to wake up early and do, like, I'll bring bands and, like, just sliders and stuff. And I... I have, I used to be really hardcore about, like, I have to get, like, my full workout in. And now, like... I, I'm better at listening to myself. I mean, like, I actually need another 30 minutes of sleep, but I will get 10 minutes of, like, the bands in. And then what that does is it lets me feel like I at least accomplished something, and it lets me be healthier the rest of the day. So it's more of, like, I think a mind trick than anything else. But also just being active, it's so much better for my mental health when I'm just thinking about how to fix things and, like, constantly recreating and rewriting songs while I'm driving. So, um, yeah, I, I would say 
do making sure I do something every day, even if it's just 10 minutes and listening to my body when it's like, I really just need to sleep a little more. Yeah. I think that we can all be much more creative and much more open-minded and much more receptive after doing something physical after moving our bodies and stuff like that. That's kind of why I like the structure of this, doing a workout yeah. um, and then just kind of relaxing and listening to um, somebody awesome right afterwards. So now I want to talk about the Walt Disney World collaboration with Jordan Fisher. How did that kind of come about that you were going to do that with him? Man, it's so wild. Everybody thought that that came from The Voice because it happened right after The Voice. But I only was on like three rounds on that show. Um, I The guy that hired me on cruise ships, he happened to be on the ship when I was, when I first started playing. And I thought that I like looked like a fool because everyone else was Berkeley graduates and they all knew what they were doing. And I was just this random soloist that like, I wasn't had pronoun never, wasn't pronouncing like the first part of the word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't even play with a pick at that, at that yeah. time. Like I didn't know what I was doing. And, um, and he just, he really, he liked me and I didn't know that at the time. Like he was like, it, like liked what I was doing and uh, he's also a musician. He moved and started working for Disney and he calls me one day and he was like, can you come up to my home and, and record a quick demo for me for a Disney thing? And I was like, absolutely. And so I went up there and uh, amazingly huge studio, like gorgeous. I record this demo. He didn't tell me what it's for. Later on, I get a call saying like, and what would you do if I told you that you were the voice for the next 10 years of the fireworks show at Walt Disney World? And I was like, I wouldn't believe you. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty, it was a pretty good day. Oh my gosh. So just off of that one, like going there the one time and kind of recording it, he knew that he wanted you to do it? Well, so Jordan, they were having trouble finding a celebrity female that would match his voice. Yeah. And I have a little more texture to mine. Um, and that's what they were looking for. So it was all pure chance. Like the cruise ship was also pure chance. They needed a female on the ship. So like you knock on enough doors, eventually you'll be the right person at the right place at the right time. That's cool. So you do write basically most of your own songs. Is there a song that you've written that means the most to you? It changes. It's usually the last song I wrote. <laughs> but I, there's one I'm going to sing today that I actually wrote with uh, Brian's in the room uh, and Mary Cutter. And it's called Heart on Fire, and I just, I, it's the first bilingual song I've ever written, and like, just, be, like, instead of translating it later, like, I really just wrote it that way, and it's, uh, it's kind of like about how sometimes we, there are all these songs about going out and getting a shot or getting a drink, and I feel like this song is kind of deeper than that, it's like why we really go out, which is like, we just want something or someone to make us want to lean in and kind of set our hearts on fire, and that's what the song's mm. about. Wow, that's cool. That's cool. Is there anything like right now that you feel like, um, it, like career-wise, is there anything that's kind of holding you back or something that you're trying to break through that will get you to the next level? Just myself. I'm constantly trying to be better at time management. Um, I also, I think I've learned that forgiving yourself quickly is more useful than giving yourself a hard time. So I'm trying to learn to do that too. Like sometimes when I don't get everything done, I want to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely want to become a better guitar player, a better writer, just a better listener to people that come to my shows too. Because sometimes after a show, I'll be thinking about so much. You just don't focus on someone, look at them in the eyes and listen to what they're telling to you. And uh, that's something I, I like to always try to be better at. Okay. So you said you, you opened up for Jake Owen on his uh, countrywide tour. Is there any, like, you probably hang out with him a decent amount and learn from him. What is there any, like, biggest lesson that you learned from him that maybe allows him to be kind of or separates him from a lot of other people he's a 
he knows what he likes and he knows how to how to make sure that it gets done and he knows how to like be flexible with stuff so like I watch him like say what he wants done and I watch people kind of push back a little bit and I know how he he reprioritizes things and be like well I need this so tell me what I need to do to get this and you can do all this kind of thing so I watch him do that a lot I've also watched him really navigate the business well. He's given me really good advice. When I was trying to decide on an agency, for example, um, he was like, just make them say yes to something before you say yes. So instead of them telling you what they can do for you, say like, I need, you know, make an X amount every month. I need to uh, be connected with this person. I need to do this. And as soon as they say yes to those specific things, then say yes. And it was such a simple concept. So he's guided me through a lot of big decisions because this this is so different from the independent music world. It's like, I mean, it's a whole other ball game. Yeah, yeah. So, is there a most important decision that you've made along your journey, along your career to this point that was really important, but you didn't realize the significance of it until a little bit later? Hmm, that's a really good question. I think, I think I didn't realize how great because when I came off cruise ships, I literally just. Like I said, I toured from Florida Keys to New York City, bar to bar to bar. And I did something called couch surfing. So I would go online and there's this website and you say you're in a city and they let you crash on their couch for free. And these people have become like some of my best friends. Like I still talk to them. They still travel to see my shows. And I think at that time I always thought I was always waiting for the next level kind of thing. And I had this moment at the CMA Awards where I was sitting there and they just gave us these floor seats because I'm part of this kickstart program that CMA is putting on. And I had this moment of like truly just being inside of the moment and loving it. And I realized that I wasted so much time constantly looking a little too far ahead instead of like really just being so grateful. And I, it was a really good moment to be able to experience that moment older and, and with that experience behind me, I think. Okay. That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, so down to the, the last couple of questions. So I actually, I used to have a set past two questions um, and now I've switched the second to last one. I actually posted about it on my Instagram the other day. So I feel like one of the most important things to, to do in order to get to the best version of ourselves is to kind of visualize what that person looks like, um, like what they're capable of, what their skills are and stuff like that. So I kind of want you to take a second to visualize the best version of Angie and like the skills that she has, the knowledge that she has. Is there a particular thing that she has, a skill, a piece of knowledge that you don't currently have? These are really intense questions. <laughs> I think... Uh, does it have to be a really deep thing or can it just Super be a, deep. It has to be a No, <laughs> whatever. I mean, well, it can't be like... <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, I know this is... I don't know if this is the right answer to that question, but I've always deeply wanted to play drums and be able to produce stuff myself. Not to put out, but enough to get out what's in my brain on, on papers or someone else can see it and hear it too. Because the hard thing about being a musician is you write these songs and then there's a million other pieces to it that create a record and you put out to the radio wherever it's going. And I can only, I'm only capable of barely playing guitar in my opinion and compared to people in the city and, and singing the notes. But there's so much more rhythm-wise, especially with the, some of the combinations I want to do with like Latin music and and country music, which is much closer than people think. And so I'd really like to be able to learn rhythm and, and production more. Yeah, no, I like that. I don't think it has to be a super okay. deep Because, like, one of the things for me, this sounds stupid, but I want to be, like, good at hip-hop dance. 
And uh, great, we're gonna go. We're we're actually we're creating a group. We're all gonna go to NDC. Millennial. Yeah, millennial. We're all gonna take a fifteen dollar dance class. Intro to hip hop. Everyone's yeah. invited. Would but like I think like you identifying that and like hearing yourself say it will be like okay like I need to figure out how mm-hmm. I can actually when I'm gonna prioritize the time to learn that and like I was interviewing somebody not long ago and he was like you know actually like a different language I want to learn a different language so I think it's something that, like that it's super actionable that you can actually start to think about how you can prioritize the time to make that thing happen so before the last question I want to acknowledge you Angie I think um, everybody can tell that how authentic you are and um, how open you are about the different. Uh, successes and failures that you've had so I think that's super cool and I really loved the when the winner of the voice back in your season texted you I really loved that takeaway from making sure that you take the time to lend a hand to just shoot a quick text to somebody even though you don't you might not know the impact that's going to have like she probably didn't know that you were going to talk about it on this podcast to talk off three years three years later so I think the smallest thing can make such a big impact on somebody else and we don't really know that um I mean you probably demand I'm not even told her but, um, yeah, I actually haven't. <laughs> I challenge I you to, to tell her. her. Yeah, tell her that. Um, but so, the, and I want to make sure everybody can go support you. So make sure you uh, follow her on Spotify at Angie K. Follow her on Instagram, Angie Kilhauer, um, and your website, uh, AngieKOfficial.com. Perfect. Um, all that good stuff. So the last question again it doesn't have to be super deep, but uh, I believe that becoming the best version of yourself is a constant journey and a unique journey. I think that I'm gonna the way that you're gonna get to the best version of yourself is gonna be a little bit different than the way that I get to the best version of myself. So for what, what I want to ask for you personally is if there are three things that you could currently do or currently work on to get closer to the best version of yourself. What are those three things that you could currently do or work on? I could wake up the same time every day instead of it changing every day. I have such a hard time with that. I could uh, I could have a set amount of time to practice every day, even if it's just a small amount of time, like 15 minutes, because a lot of times practice is not easy for people to just perform all the time. Um, and then third, I think I need to call my family more. I love it. I don't call them enough. I love it. Well, that's perfect. Well, everybody give Angie a quick hand real quick. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Angie. She's one of the hardest working people I've ever met and one of the most real people I've ever met. And this combo made this one of my favorite interviews yet. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you go leave it a quick review on the Apple Podcast app or on iTunes. Make sure you share it with a friend who could get something out of this knowledge and inspiration that Angie shared today. All it could take is one thing from this episode for you, your friend, or your family member to turn their life around or to level up. Remember to send that text or lend that hand. It might not seem like that big of a deal to you, but you never know how much it might mean to that other person or how much it might brighten their day. Those of you out there who are grinding, keep after it. If you keep at it, if you knock on enough doors, if you talk to enough people and communicate what your goals are to these people, the right time, the right person, and the right place will come. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let me know what you thought by sending me a DM on Instagram at carrier underscore best you. Rate and review the show. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet already. Share it with a friend so we can help grow this amazing community. But for now, it's time. Take one thing that Angie talked about today and take action on it. Send that text. Make that call. Meet one more new person because you never know what kind of impact it might have in your life. Guys, it's 2020. You've got goals to set and you've got goals to crush. Write them down because what gets measured gets managed. Keep getting after it this year so you can get closer and closer to your best you.